listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. If we were to take and examine the life of Christ in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would see that the life of Christ revolved around three key relationships. And and some of that has already been explained to us this week and even last week as we started this series. But if you were to look at the life of Christ, every one of these relationships was important, but there is one relationship that was foundational to his life, and it's foundational to our life as well. Jesus lived his life in relationship, first of all, and this one is so important. This one, we can't miss this one. You, you miss this one, you miss it all. And, and it, Jesus lived in a relationship with his heavenly Father. And the key word that describes this is the word abide. And even though Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, he chose an intimate dependency upon his heavenly Father when he was here on this earth. And we would see, as, as you read through the Gospels, he would slip away to a lonely place. He would slip away into the wilderness. Sometimes it was through the night. Oftentimes it was early in the morning. And he would slip away and spend time in relationship with his heavenly father. He was abiding in a relationship with his heavenly father. And the life that Jesus lived here on this earth was an overflow of that relationship that he had with his heavenly father. You see, abiding is not religion. Abiding is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a love relationship with God, with God the Father that he desires to have with each one of us. And so we're going to look at the subject today of what does it mean to abide in Christ. But the second relationship that is so important is, is the relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. That's, if you look at the Gospels, you see relationship with, his, with God the Father, but then his relationship with his disciples, and, and Jesus spent time with them, teaching, building into their lives, into the 12 disciples that followed him. And the key word for this is the word connect. In order to say, in order to be someone who follows Christ, to say, I follow Christ, it means that you need to have fellowship with other brothers and sisters. And, and this is more than just lobby talk. This is more than just something you do before the service and after the service in in a connecting, relational kind of way that we have a relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what we'll get into, Lord willing, next week. The third relationship is that, and the key word for that is share. And, And this is spending time with unbelievers, people who don't know Christ. We see this in the life of Jesus. He spent time with Zacchaeus, with Nicodemus, with the Samaritan women, and then, or the Samaritan woman, as well as he he spent time one-on-one with unbelievers, and he spent time with the crowds. And in the same way that that is something that defines someone who follows Christ, we are on a mission. We are to share the life of Christ with others. Abide, connect, and share. And so if we were to say that I am a follower of Christ, these three relationships are are things that should be growing in our lives. And, And not just in the life of Christ, but in our life as well. You see, following Christ isn't just mimicking the life of Christ. Like, oh, Jesus did that. I guess I should do that. It's not just this kind of a mimic and just copy him in this way. But it's having his life flow in to us and then being poured out to others. We are living, abiding means we are living in the overflow of the life we've received 
in a relationship with him, and we share that with others. Here's this really just excellent quote that, that I believe describes it all by Henry Blackaby. He says, we are so active, we are so activity-oriented that we assume we are saved for a task we are to perform rather than for a relationship to enjoy. Isn't that true? And so oftentimes we're just so busy and we just think, you know, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I guess I better get busy. You know, I, I'm saved and, and I better do this, you know, as a result of, you know, the relationship that I have. Just maybe leave that in case some, some folks are just wanting to write that down. If that can just stay up for a moment, I think that might be helpful. And we can become so busy trying and striving and thinking, I just got to do more. If I just do enough, if I just do this, if I do that, that's going to be the key to the victory. Then I'm going to have peace. Then I'm going to have joy. Then I'm going to have a light of a, a fruitfulness and and, and ultimately, I, I will feel a lot more happy. And, and, and so oftentimes, as believers, we can just get so busy, 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 running, doing this and trying that and all these different things. And that is not the life that we are called to. That is not the life of a Christ follower that you're running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, it's awful to see that sort of thing happen. And, and, and it's the same kind of thing when we just are so busy that we don't have time to enjoy and to, to feed on a relationship with Christ. We are always left wondering in our busyness, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right stuff? And so oftentimes, the Christian life can be one just filled with a lot of guilt or fear, hoping that, that I've done enough to please God, hoping I've done enough to, to get eternal life, and hoping I've done enough to get more of his power and strength. And maybe if I just do a little bit more, if I keep running, it's like a treadmill. I mean, treadmills are good, but you don't get anywhere on a treadmill, do you? You stay in the same place. And it's like we can exchange one bondage for another. We can go from experiencing the bondage and the slavery of sin to the bondage of religion, of busyness, of running around and not enjoying a relationship in how we are designed. Here's another thing I encourage you to write this down. God's primary call is not to ministry. It is to intimacy. God's primary call is not to ministry. It's to intimacy in a relationship with him. This is why understanding what this word abide that we're going to talk about here today is so, so important. To miss this, to miss this abi abiding peace in our relationship with God is to miss it all. Then life just becomes re religious activity, striving, working, pressing on, just thinking somehow I'll make it, some way I'll achieve it. And so what does it mean? We, we've got to unpack what does it mean to abide in Christ. And so John 15 is a perfect passage because in the first 11 verses, the word abide is used 10 times. And John 15 just, just really lays this out for us to be able to, to help us to see what does it mean to abide in Christ. And you see, when Jesus said these words to his disciples, as, as I shared with the folks at the prayer time this morning, it wasn't like he was on, you know, th they were looking over the Mediterranean Sea, you know, at a winery, and, and so he's talking about this because there's all these vineyards all around him and they're sipping on wine. No, life was unraveling. Stuff was happening. This, this discourse from John 13 to John 17, we see him pouring out his heart to his disciples because this is the night that he would be betrayed. This was his last opportunity for him to be with his disciples in this way that he had been for, for the last three and a half years. And, and the pressure and the politics and everything was mounting and, and, and the disciples' hopes and dreams were being dashed because they thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was going to reign in Israel. And, and all of a sudden now, 
they're starting to see this is heading to a crash. This is heading towards the cross. And Judas has already left them. Judas has, has, has already taken off to be able to go and, and put into, uh, into motion the betrayal of Jesus to kind of nail that one down once and for all. And so Jesus and his disciples here in John 15 have left the upper room where they had the Last Supper together and they're heading to the garden. And so somewhere along, uh, along the way, they're no doubt walking past some vineyards because those uh, vineyards were plenteous in that area at that time. And so there's panic and there's concern. And yet Jesus is speaking of an abiding relationship. Jesus is the voice of calm, even though he knows what is ahead. Why? Because he has the power of God through his dependent relationship on him pouring through his life. He's not panicky. He's not looking forward to what lies ahead because he knew that full well what was coming. And the disciples are beside themselves. And so, so this passage are for people who are weary, confused, wondering what kind of, what does the future hold? And, and this is a powerful passage. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of John 15. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And as we look through this passage, the first 11 verses here this morning, I encourage you to even write down these words. You need to know this clear, straight, plain up. It is impossible to follow Christ without abiding in him. This is the, the first part. This is the most important. It is impossible to follow Christ without abiding in him. And here we see Jesus declaring himself as what? Verse 1, it says, the true vine. Notice it doesn't say, I am a vine. He says, I am the true vine. Just like earlier, he told them, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through me, through Jesus. That's him saying that. And so in the same way, he said, I am the true vine. I am not a vine. I am not a way, I am the true vine. He's not saying this is a matter of cockiness or arrogance. This is just truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Christ. There is no other way. There is no other spiritual religious leader. No way, no way, no way do all religions lead to God. It is through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. And so in here, he's saying, I am the true vine. That is an important statement that we need to realize and understand. And even when we talk to people in the world who, who don't believe that, they, they think all, all religions lead to God. That's not true. 
The Pope, I believe, is even declaring those kind of statements these days. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's dead wrong. Jesus is the way. He is not a vine. He is the true vine. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is to the orchard what the gardener is to the garden. The vine dresser, the gardener, works among the plants to make them as fruitful as possible. If you plant seeds in the ground or if you grow a vineyard and you just like let it go and let it be a free-for-all, you're not going to get very much. You're going to get a mess. And so here, Jesus is saying, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the orchardist. He's the one that is going around taking care of his vineyard. And the Father desires for our lives to be as fruitful as possible. He wants our lives to be full of fruitfulness. And in the end of verse 11, it talks about enjoy. He doesn't want it just to be filled with happiness, but to experience joy in our life. He doesn't want us to just walk around and, and, and live the miserable Christian life. Sometimes I'm convinced that Christians can be some of the most miserable people in society, we're known more for who we're against or what we're against than what we're for. And, and we're miserable. Here I am just serving the Lord, you know, and there's no joy and there's no happiness. That's a problem. And God says, I, I didn't come so that you would be miserable. I've come that you may have joy and joy abundantly and joy flowing through your life. And that is what he's come for. It, and, and, and it's not just about making it to heaven. You know, I'm just making it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. You know, he, he's desiring a life of joy and fruitfulness here on this earth. It's not necessarily going to talk as we're going to get to an easy life where everything is just, just, you know what, sunshine and beautiful rainbows. You know, it's, there's going to be stuff ahead. And we know that. God's word is, is very clear on that. And yet we can have joy even in the midst of that. And so the first thing here is we understand that it's impossible to follow Christ without abiding in him. Well, what does it mean to abide in him? Well, let's take a look here. I encourage you to write this down as well. Abiding begins with a connection to Christ. Abiding begins with a connection. We see this in verse 1 and then also in the first part of verse 5. Now, Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. You and I, we're the branches. And how are we connected? By putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. How do we get connected? Through simple faith and making a decision, personally, individually, no one can make this for you, to follow Christ. It's acknowledging, understanding the holiness and the perfection of God, and understanding our sin, that we have all fallen short, and just because of even one sin, one sin in the garden that Adam and Eve sinned, that, that one thing that they did, eating an apple they weren't supposed to, or, or fruit that they weren't supposed to, we just guess it's an apple, we're not exactly sure what kind of fruit it is, doesn't matter. Just one thing causes a separation because God is so holy, and one sin causes that separation, and as we understand that our sins have separated us, have caused this great chasm between us and God, that's a problem because there's no one who can bridge that chasm except Jesus. And Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. When he died on the cross, he took all our sins, all our shame, everything upon himself. And Jesus reconciles us to God. 2 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus 
don't know if you've ever had a mediator in a situation. Sometimes parents, we get thrown into a mediation role with our children. You know, when, when he did this, well, she did this, and, 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 and you're taking it all in, and you're, you're making a decision, you're trying to figure out, or maybe sometimes you, you, you've used a mediator in, in a labor dispute or, or some other kind of thing, and, and so you have this mediator who is sorting it all out, and it eventually makes a ruling, and, and you go by what that mediator says. Well, in the same way, we have me, a mediator, Jesus Christ, who sees our sin and understands our sin and sees and knows the holiness of God, and he laid down his life so that relationship could be restored. He's the one that reconciles. He's the only one that can do this. And it is so normal. It is so normal, folks. Please, we've got to get this through our heads. That so oftentimes we think, well, I need to clean myself up. And if I clean myself up just even a little bit, then maybe I can have a relationship with the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that. We can't clean ourselves up to the point to, to make ourselves right with God. Only Jesus does that. And he calls in, and invites us to come as messed up as we are and begin that relationship with him. And he's the one that will then clean up our lives. And if you have trusted Jesus in this way, you need to know that when God the Father looks at you, he sees the perfection and the obedience of Christ, not your failures, not your past, but the obedience of Christ, which was perfect. That's what he sees. This is what we've been singing about, we're going to sing about in a little while later. This is amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. This is how we are connected to Christ. And it's us acknowledging us, acknowledging this and praying to him, inviting him to come into my life to forgive us of my sins. This is the good news. And we must accept this in our lives personally. This is how we get connected to the vine. It is through Jesus. Jesus is right there at that connection point. The branch to the vine and Jesus is there. And that's what happens when we give our lives to him. Have you done that? If not, you can do that today. The most important thing you can ever do. You say, well, I think I have. I, I prayed the prayer and, you know, I've done it a few times just to make sense, you know, just to make sure because, you know, sometimes I'm just not so sure, you know. And so I prayed it over and over again. I remember, I remember one time on the farm growing up, uh, we, we would spend our summers on the farm and, and we had an old outhouse there and, and uh, one night the stars were amazing out in the Saskatchewan prairies and, and, and the northern lights were out and the northern lights were out kind of making this incredible kind of, you know, a dome and there was like this big circle over our farm and, and it just, the northern lights were there and my mother said, oh Jesus, she says, wouldn't that be amazing? She says, maybe Jesus is going to come down through that and I'm, you know, and I ran into that outhouse and I spent some time there working things out with him, you know, and I'm just praying like, you know, like if this is going to happen, you know, I, I want to be ready, you know, and, and how do you know? Do you know? How do you know that you are a believer? Well, I've prayed the prayer. I, I, I've been scared like that a few times like you, Melden, and I've done that. Well, how do you know? Well, here's how we can know. Second of all, we see abiding results in fruit. How do you know that you are abiding in Christ? It's going to result in fruit. We see this in these verses, in verses 2 and 4 and 5 and 7 and 8, and we're going to look at a few of these verses here. And, and we are connected to Christ, and, and we abide in him, 
And we know that this has happened because there is the fruitfulness that comes along with it. Please understand this. It is impossible for God to come into a life and for that life not to change. He wants to bring change into our lives. And, 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 and some of that change is a hunger and a desire for the word of God. A hunger, a desire to do what is right. A hunger, a desire to, to turn away from our old ways and to pursue God's ways. And, and, and this is a growing kind of work that's happening in our lives it is a disgust and 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 towards our past and and our our sinful past and the things that we've done wrong and and we want to follow the path that God has for us and 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 so there's there's this changing there's this softening there's this reshaping of our heart and and we see that that as a result of this connection that there is fruit that ends up happening that there is fruit that is produced and and in verse 5 Jesus said whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples fruit is proof of abiding proof is a or or fruit is is a proof of being a follower a disciple of jesus christ now, one of the privileges that we have in living here in the Okanagan is that we get to see this imagery that Jesus is talking about being lived out all around us. Shortly after moving here in 2010, we found out about this place over a little past Rutland called the Grape Patch. And it was run by an old farmer, Farmer Bert, and his wife. And uh, he grows... He would grow at least six different varieties of table grapes. And here's a picture of our, our family throughout the years of enjoying these table grapes. And Charlotte's parents come out every year from Saskatchewan, every year in September, because they have to pick their grapes at Burt's. And, uh, and they take them home and, and for their family to share. And, and these are amazing, amazing grapes that, uh, that we get to enjoy. And it's something we look forward to every year. And, and even on our way here this morning, in our way driving around, for, for us, I don't know exactly where, where you may live, but there's a good chance you will have seen some, um, some orchards and, and, uh, and especially even some vineyards and, and to see grapes that are growing on the side of the mountains. And we see it all around here. And, and, uh, and, and so we have this beautiful illustration for us. And, and even this morning, to even help with that illustration, I went out to a grape. Uh, sorry, dear, I did a little pruning this morning. And, and I went out and, and, and I, I took one of the branches off of a, a grapevine that we have. And, and, and I took this and and, uh, and I also went to the fridge, dear, and I, I took a few grapes because there's no more grapes on, on, on there. It's a little cold for that. And, and, uh, and so, so you have this living illustration that you cannot get this unless there's this, unless this, like if we just set this over here and just say, you know, and set it over on this thing and say, okay, now grow. Grow. It's not going to happen. It's not going to, it's going to wilt and, and die. There's got to be a connection point there. And, and so we have this beautiful illustration for us here. And so, so fruit is an important byproduct of that connection. Fruit is a byproduct of abiding. And fruit is important. Does every genuine Christian bear fruit? Yes. That's not my opinion. That's not my thinking. That's the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20, he says, we will be recognized by our fruit. And the fruit is a result 
of us being connected to Christ. So, so what kind of fruit is, are, are, are we talking about here? What is Jesus mentioning here like when he's talking about fruit? What does a fruitful life look like? Well, we can come up with all kinds of different ideas and suggestions on what we might think that fruit is, or we can go to God's word and see what God says fruit is. And, and here's just a number. And you can do this. You can do this at home. You can take a concordance. You can even go online and you can even search for, for Bible references to fruit. And here are just some of the references that we see that, that a life of fruitfulness will look like. And, and the first one we can see is godly character. I encourage you to write this down or it will be available on our website um, uh, early this week. But a godly character that we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit. These are to be growing simultaneously in our lives. It's not like, well, I'm really knocking it out of the park in the love area, but on the self-control, oh, I'm just awful in that. You know, and, and it's not like, well, I'm just going to feed the love side and I'm going to starve out the, the self-control. No, this is, this is to grow simultaneously together. This is, this is the cluster. If you want to say, this is, this is all of these fruit of the Spirit that, that ought to be growing in our lives. And I trust that as you look at your lives, or if others look at your life and would, would say that year after year, you're growing, you're becoming more loving, more patient, more self-controlled. You're using self-control when it comes to actions, reactions, or you know, they're, they're, you're becoming more gentle. This is a mark that, that we're abiding in Christ, that there's a work taking place there. And sometimes we would say, yeah, but it's, it's not doing so well. Join the club. Sometimes the fruit growing is slow. Oftentimes it's slow. But we need to pay attention to this and, and look for ways that we can see this fruit grow and become even... Uh, more productive in our lives, these, these fruit of the spirits, the spirit that is mentioned here. And another way that some of the fruit that we'll see, we're just going to work through this quickly, encourage you to be looking at these verses and, and, and just see the reality of God's word. Good works. There's the fruit of good works that, that we're going to want to work for Christ. Shouldering kingdom responsibility, caring about what he cares. What does he care about? The bride of of Christ. He cares about the church and about, about us working in that, in that vineyard, if you want to call it. Personal holiness, Romans 6.22, talking about the fruit of, of, of purity and growing, a growing disdain for, the, for the, the yuck and the filth of this world and the things that dishonor God and a greater love for the things that, that bring God glory and, and bring him joy. Financial giving is another fruit. God has been so generous to us and, 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 and his generosity flows freely to us, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy. And our response as we grow in that understanding is a life of generosity. We want to give back to him. And if you're stingy, and if you're like, you know, like uh, that's one area I'm not touching, you got to look at that connection and what's going on there because, because that is just an outflow of a life that's abiding in Christ. Sacrificial worship, that praising God, not just in church, not just when it's my favorite song, it's all through the day. It's all through the week. When life is hard and dark that we're choosing to worship and to praise God in the midst of the storms, in the darkness, and the difficulties. Winning other, others to Christ is another fruit. That we're sharing Christ with others. You know, it, it's sad, sad statistic, and, and sadly, it, it probably is true that 80 to 
of people who call themselves Christians have never led anyone to the Lord? That's a problem. We're to be people who share. And I trust as we, we dig into this 5G life and, and that we can even further help and equip you to be able to do this. But a good chunk of the sharing with others happens as we abide, as we connect with others, as God is doing a work of transformation in us. We were in a small group recently, just and, and one of the, the individuals said, hey, I'm in church today and God's at work in my life because I've been watching a transformation in a family member's life. And because that family member is changing and, and stuff's happening, it's causing me to ask a lot of questions and wondering what's going on. And so as God is, is growing and doing a work in us, it speaks to a world out there, but also we need to use words and, and learn to use words to encourage, inspire. Another uh, gentleman in the church asked for prayer this past week of some men and said, hey, I'm, I'm planning to share, share Jesus Christ with a coworker. Pray for me, brothers. And he told me later on this week, he says, it didn't go so well. Well, you don't be so sure. God in his time and his way works. He works in amazing ways. We need to be faithful in that. Fruit bearing is a byproduct of a life that abides in Christ. And thirdly, we see in here that it is impossible to follow Christ without abiding in him, and abiding is strengthened, and fruitfulness comes through the word of God. You might say, well, how do I do this? How do I abide? How, how do I have this fruitful life? Because now just that list you gave me up ahead there just, just sounded like it was a whole bunch of activity, a whole bunch of stuff that now I need to do and, and things I need to work on. Here is the key way that we learn to abide in Christ, and it is through the Word of God. The word abide means literally to stay, to settle in. It means a healthy and living, unbroken relationship with Jesus. It's not like, well, I'm in this week and out this week, you know, getting tempted in this way and just going to put my, my, my life with Christ on hold this week. No, this is, this is a stain faith. This is, I'm going to stay in here, I'm going to settle in, even though it may be hard and difficult and confusing at times, and it may not seem very fair and very difficult, I'm going to stay, I'm going to abide, I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to settle in here, and, and there is so much good that happens when we make that choice and that decision, because now we are placing ourselves in a place where all the resources from the earth, from, from that, that vine, can now flow into the branch when we say, I'm, I'm going to stay connected. How do we say stay connected? Through the Word of God. The Word of God is the key thing, and we see this in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And he says, abide, um, and, and, and then it goes on, if you keep, in verse 10, how do we abide? If you keep my commandments, in verse 10, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding happens as we choose to make God's word the most influential thing in our life. What is the most important, or what is the biggest influencer in your life today? Something's influencing you. Something or someone has an influence on you. And abiding comes with the decision of saying God's word is going to be the number one, my first, my priority when it comes to what's going to influence my life. And this comes by becoming more and more familiar with the word of God. It's learning how to study and read the Word of God, to squeeze as much as you can out of the Word of God. 
And as we learn this and as we grow in this, it becomes a part of our lives in a greater way. It controls the way we think and the way that we act and the way that we respond because we're, we're understanding the life of Christ and the heart of Christ in this. And so we become more and more familiar with it. Just even there's opportunities, the upcoming, you saw this in the latest e-news uh, that we sent out, opportunities for women to, um, in their ladies' Bible study, uh, starting up um, in, in a few weeks to study and to learn how to study the Word of God. There's going to be a course for men. Um, early Saturday mornings, make the priority, make the time. Oh, it's my sleep-in day. Four weeks, study the Word of God. It'll change your life. Learn how to squeeze as much as you can out of the word of God and, and, and we've got to take advantage of there's so many opportunities and so many ways that we can learn and study the word of God but it's not just learning, it's choosing it to make it the standard of our lives. It's not allowing culture or media or opinions of others to rule our thinking and our emotions but finding out what God's opinion is find out what God has to say when it comes to all the social issues and 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 the, all of the even the sexual revolution if you want to say in our life when it comes to this whole gender identity and all this find out what God's word has to say not what psychologists not what doctors not what the media not what Hollywood actors have to say about all of this thing we need to find out what God says and as we study in all of these areas and get to know God's heart, this is the way we abide and we respond accordingly. But sadly today, there's such a dumbing down of God's word, even within the church, within Christians. We, we, we've turned Sunday mornings oftentimes into a time of either entertainment or emotionalism, sometimes getting to a Bible verse somewhere, somewhere in the, in, in the little talk on a Sunday morning. Don't want to call it a sermon, don't want to preach to the people. We're supposed to preach to the people. God's word says we're to preach and we're to proclaim the word of God. And so oftentimes we just, it's a reference point. I've heard people preach. I've heard men stand up in front of a crowd and say, well, here's what God's word says, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. That's dangerous, 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 dangerous. We, want to, we need to know God's heart and what God, God's word has to say. And we're going to dig into that further on how to grow in our God time. That's coming up in the weeks ahead. And we want to help you to learn how to abide and learning how to abide in, the, in, in God's word so that it becomes a part of our lives. That's why January 1st, if you weren't here or maybe you need to re-listen to that message, on taking God's word into our lives based on Psalm 1 and allowing our lives to meditate on the word of God, to speak it, to live it throughout the course of the day. That's the way we abide. That's the way we are transformed through the uh, word of God, through the spirit of God. But we're so familiar these days with Hollywood actors and sports and politics. We know all the latest health trends in, in, in fashion or fitness or whatever it might be. And all of this comes as a great expense of time and money. Are we investing time in the word of God? Taking time daily to be in the word. Taking those opportunities that are available for us to learn the word of God. Being in relationship and community with others to help um, guide us in, in studying the word of God together. This is how we get to know the God of the Bible and to have his power infused in us because we're starting to think more and more like he's thinking. And this comes as a result just of, of just not reading it, not read it and forget it, but read it and, and, and apply it to our lives and living it and allowing the word of God to dominate our thinking and our hearing. And it, it, it's what starts ruling our hearts and our actions. And I can tell you honestly that there are times throughout the course of the week, there's times in the course of the day when I'm tempted to, to you know what, just like, well, 
This is what my heart says. This is what, you know, what, what everyone else is doing. Is that? But what does God's word have to say? And when I say yes to God's word and no to my own thinking and that, or the thinking of others or the uh, philosophies of, of this world, and when I allow God to rule my heart, that connection and the flow of his power strength just, just is even intensified in our lives in a greater way. You know, people will say, and, and some of you might be sitting here today, but I, I've tried reading the Bible. I just don't understand it. It's hard. It's hard to read. I, I read the Bible and 90% of it I don't get. Yeah, but you got 10% of it. Keep going. Next time you'll get 20%. At Christmas time, how many of you do puzzles? Some of you do puzzles, you know, get, get out the puzzles the one time in the year. Come on, put your hands up. You know, you need a little exercise. Those, okay, good, you do puzzles. We, we'll do those puzzles. Clarice really enjoys doing it. And, and, and even this last one, she, she, uh, she knocked off this 500-piece puzzle in no time, and then it was a 1,000-piece puzzle, and it's like, ah! you know, you just look at this, and, well, I'll help you turn them over, and let's get the, the, the corners done. Let, let, let's get the outline done here, you know. And, and, and if you just take two pieces and start piecing it together, it's not going to go very well, but when you come up with a bit of a systematic plan you're going to get one piece and another piece and another and whoa got a whole section here let's move this one over and in no time she has it done you know and and it's just amazing to see that come in the same way god's word at times feels like a thousand or a five thousand or a ten thousand piece puzzle but as we take one piece at a time and we start placing it and we get understanding and different things and we keep looking at the source and, and, and that and we apply that to our lives, God makes something incredible and beautiful and you look back and say, that's amazing. It all fits. God's word fits into every corner of society, into every area of your life, your finances, your health, your future, your family, your marriage, your loneliness, your sickness, whatever it is, God's word has an answer to it all. And it's a beautiful, beautiful piece as we piece it together. And we need others to piece it together with us. For Christmas and for my birthday, my birthday comes right around Christmas time. And so Charlotte was asking, and, and one of the things we've been talking about over the last little while is I need a hobby, you know. And I kind of thought a drone would be cool, but I'd probably get in too much trouble, crash the thing, and then be out like $1,000 or whatever those things can run at. You know, kind of thought, well, that'd be pretty cool. And so we, I was thinking something a little safer. And so, um, so I was talking about a telescope, and, and so Charlotte, um, through Amazon Black Friday deals, got a, a wonderful telescope for me. And... I honestly, I don't know much about telescopes except like, it'd be really cool to be able to look at the stars out in the backyard of our house. It's really dark at night, you know, and, and could really see a lot of stuff. And then on the front yard, I can check out people on the west side and see what they're doing with this, you know, and just see what some of our flock is doing. You know, a good pastor checks up on your flock, right? And just, just kind of thinking it'd be pretty cool that you just set this thing up, pull out the tripod, just take a look and, you know, she went off shopping one afternoon in between Christmas and New Year's, and I said, I'm going to set up the telescope. And she came home, and uh, very little of it was set up. I'm like, this is like all French to me. And it wasn't even the French part of the manual. It was the English, but it was making no sense. And, and parts that they were talking, and I had to assemble a good chunk of this, and, and it's using a language and a terminology. I'm like, I have no idea what, what they're talking about here. And, and, and she says, well, do you want me to send it back? I'm like, no, I, I need to learn this and, you know, and, and figure some of it out. And still to this day, I'm not sure if I have it set up completely right, but it's a little cold to be able to use it very much. I, I did get some, got to look at some images in it, but they were upside down. Um, 
Um, anyways, like, uh, we'll get it figured out, I'm sure, you know, eventually. But what I did do is I snapped a picture of it, sent it to a friend of mine who lives in northern Alberta and said, hey, look at what Charlotte got me for Christmas. I think you're going to have to come and give me some lessons. Why? Because he is like an expert in this sort of thing. He had on his acreage at one point this huge, like, th this thing looks kind of big, but it's maybe five feet long or four feet, I don't know. His was like 15 feet, this big thing that, I mean, you could see almost heaven, you know, well, maybe not, but, you know, it was this massive thing, and, and I'm like, I need to go to someone who can help me in this, you know, and, 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 and I told him, I said, you need to come to Kelowna sometime and give me some lessons, and he's like, wow, that's exciting, that's great, you know, and he even said he'd come at some point, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll come to Kelowna, that's, like, great, I need some help in that area, and the same thing as we devote ourselves to learning the Word of God, and we start, take and start to apply it to our lives, it strengthens our lives, and it starts to produce, this, and this fruit ends up being the byproduct. There's a life of fruitfulness. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. One of the beautiful fruits of this is this strengthened prayer life. As we're abiding in the word of God, we're going to know how to pray with power. We're not going to pray according to my will, but according to the will of God because we're in the Word and we're understanding what His good and perfect will is in a greater way in our lives and in those around us. And so it transforms our prayer life. What are we going to be doing this next Wednesday? We're going to be praying. We're going to be praying through the Word of God. And encourage you to come and be a part of, of the prayer night together as, as we, we take God's Word and we pray through it together and we pray, God, would we learn in a greater way what it means to abide and, and, and to, to trust in you? And, and as we grow in his word, it, it, it controls the way we prayer, pray and we pray more effectively and according to his will and plan and purpose. And the fourth thing we see here is that when it comes to abiding, we must beware of difficult seasons and at times rigorous pruning. Right now, if you drive past a orchard, or a vineyard, you'll see things are looking pretty dead. I took this yesterday afternoon, and things are looking pretty grim out there. It's a long, and for us, wimps, cold winter for us. You know, like this is like, oh, this is a cold season, and, and, and things seem pretty barren there in the old vineyard. It doesn't look like much life is happening there, but there is. There's still life happening, even though things are looking pretty dead. And things aren't producing. There's no fruit. I, I, I didn't, see any, didn't see any grapes like this hanging on, on any of the branches there. Because even if there were something left over, the birds or the deer would have taken care of it or whatever else may have wanted to enjoy a little feast of some leftover grapes. Those vines look pretty dead and fruitless, but they're still alive. Why? Because they're still connected. They're not like, well... It's cold, you know, and, and they're not going to pluck themselves out of the vine and, you know, we're going to head down south or we're going to go do this where it's warmer. And like, no, you're, you're in big time trouble if, if you do. No, they're staying connected even though it's a difficult season. And we are going to have the winter, difficult, cold, dark, barren seasons in our lives. That's just, that's the, the law of the harvest. But we stay connected. We keep hoping, we keep trusting, and we know that spring will come. However, when spring comes, there's even more pruning that takes place, right? And you see the work that the vine dresser will do 
with the vines. Why? Because the vine dresser is looking for more fruit and larger fruit. There will be the difficult seasons, but the spring season, the summer season, and harvest season, they're coming. But we must endure the winters as well. Look at in verse 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. See, those vines and branches, they're going to get stripped down. And the ones that aren't producing fruit, as the vineyard worker goes through there, and the ones that aren't producing fruit, they're chopped off. And the ones that are producing fruit, they're pruned. The suckers and, and the little, little uh, branches that, that are running out of there that are just taking up energy and taking up the, 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 the nutrients that need to go into the grapes are cut off. Sometimes even the leaves are cut off so that the sun can shine more directly later on in the summer. The, the leaves can, can oftentimes be, be pruned and taken off as well so that the, the, the grapes are exposed more to the sun. And here's the biblical reality of this, folks. You and I can't escape pruning. You can't. Every believer will be pruned. We will go through the season of pruning. And, and I watched some YouTube videos on, on this um, this past week, and, and, and the over and over again, the uh, whole teaching in it was, if you want to have a lot of fruit, much fruit, you got to prune, and you got to prune rigorously. The more you prune, the better the quality of fruit and the amount of fruit. If you are a believer in Christ and you are bearing fruit, you will be pruned. Why? Because God's not interested in just, just, just little grapes, but much fruit. He desires much out of us. It's for his glory, but also for our joy. If you're not a believer in Christ, there's no, and, and, and the way that you end up seeing that is because there's no fruit. Those branches are cut off and thrown into the fire and burned. But every believer, every fruit-bearing believer will be pruned. One of the highlights of going to the grape patch for our first four years there to Bert's grape patch was talking to Bert. Sadly, the last two years we haven't been able to see him. He has since passed away. But Bert, you can see here, pictured with my in-laws and with a younger version of Clarice and Nate. And this was the second year that we were there, and I was in a season of confusion and pruning in my own life. And Charlotte and the kids and her parents were up further on the hill. You can see they were picking grapes, and I was a little tired of picking or just not too interested. And I came down, and I was talking to Farmer Bert. And we got talking about the grapes and different things. And, and, I, and, and he says, I don't make much money on this. He says, I just love to see the joy in the people when they come here and see families. He says, I get the big stores. They come here. They want to come and buy me out and, and, and take over my grapes and, 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 and sell them in their stores. He says, but I love seeing the families. I love seeing what's going on. And he says, hey, I want to show you a secret. And I'll never forget this. And he takes me over to a grapevine and he says, I want to show you why my grapes are the biggest and the sweetest and the juiciest of anyone around here. And he said, what I do when I see a fruitful branch, after I've done the pruning, he says, I take 
And he says, close to the vine, to where it's connected, he says, I take this branch and I do a little cut like this. And he says, I do that to every branch. I said, that takes you a lot of time. He says, you better believe it. But he says, this allows more of the nutrients to flow into the grapes. And because of this scarring, this, this kind of form of pruning that I, that I do, it causes my grapes to be juicier and sweeter and larger than anyone else. And I thought to myself as we left the orchard the day, that day, that God, our Heavenly Father, He desires much fruit and juicy fruit out of His children. And there are times that He will come along and He will allow a scarring, he will allow a pruning in our lives because he wants much fruit and the best fruit possible. And as I've been thinking about it this week, it hit me. When is the vine dresser the closest to the fruit? When it's being pruned. And God the Father is nearby. He is there with us. He is hands-on in our seasons of pruning, our seasons of hurt, of confusion, of wondering what's going on. He's a good, good father and he is there. And he, he's doing it out of love for us because he wants much fruit and he's pruning things out of our lives that we think we need. But he says, no, these are getting in the way of, of effective life, of a fruitful life for you. And at times it may not make sense and yet he is good and he has a plan. He's hands-on, he's a good father. And fifthly, abiding results in joy. Verse 11, he says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This speaks of a cup of joy, a life overflowing with joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness comes with, with the weather. Happiness comes with a holiday. Happiness comes with a purchase. Happiness comes with, with, with these earthly kind of things. But joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, in the purpose of God, and in the people of God. And that is what he desires in our lives, a life of joy. This is God's plan, his desire for us. Father in heaven, I pray that each one of us would look at our lives today and say, am I abiding? Have I made that connection to the vine? And if they haven't, they would do so today. They would not leave this place without crying out to you and asking you to become the Lord and Savior of their lives. If someone here doesn't know how to do that, may they be bold enough to ask myself or someone who they know who has a relationship with you to do that. But we would cry out to you and make sure that we are connected and that abiding is starting and that we would all look at the, the fruit of our lives and, and, and desire greater fruit and more fruit for your glory and the end result of that is our joy and may we see and thank you for this amazing grace that you have given to us and and may we just grow in this understanding as a church, as families, as individuals, of what it means to abide in Christ, what it means to abide in your word and allow your word to be the center of our lives and for life to flow out from there. We thank you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.